no sales or more sales learning should never stop that's why you and i are here bringing you limitless a maverick podcast channel with perfectly blended sales and marketing tips tips from people who have been there and done that put on your headsets earphones or airpods because we are going for a heck of a sales hack right hey all welcome to another episode of our limitless podcast series I am Nisha a product marketer at Hippo Video and your podcast host. We have with us today Cory Bray. Hey Cory, welcome to Limitless. Thank you so much for having me today. Great to have you here. It's completely our pleasure. So a little bit about Cory. Cory is the co-founder of Code CRM, co-founder of Close Loop and a partner in 2.12 Angels, which is a seed stage venture fund. He has also written eight top-selling books on B2B sales and sales management. He has built high-performing sales teams in industries that range from manufacturing to technology. Corey is passionate about making sales accessible, actionable, and scalable with coaching. So today, Corey will be sharing with us some tried-and-true tips to prospect like a pro. So let's dive right into the questions. So Corey, here's my first question for you. Most sales reps are riddled with self-doubt when it comes to cold outreach. How can they overcome that fear of cold well, outreach? I think what people are scared of is not winning. And, and maybe that's not necessarily losing, but maybe it's being stagnant. And what we often find is that the best cure for hesitation, for concern, for call reluctance is winning. So the thing that the organizations can do is equip people with the messaging, the lists, the technology, the tools, everything that they need to do so they can sit down, do their job and win. Because if they're not doing that, then it's going to be hard to keep people motivated. And that's that's really the answer here. It's not something that you can just snap your fingers and do. But if, if you're not winning, if you don't feel like you're winning, then yeah. things are going to seem harder than they are. But, uh, you know, after like maybe losing out on, I don't know, like five, six years consequently, there's that inherent uh, confidence drop, right? So how do they overcome that? Like how, how do they it's, get their feedback up? Well, losing a deal isn't something that you can control. And I think there's, there's there's only two things that salespeople can control. They can control their quantity of activity and their quality of activity. And if that's all that they focus on, they're going to be in a great position. They can look at what they're doing and, and maybe if the deal didn't go their way, well, did they do the right quantity of activity? Mm. Uh, that could be preparation for the meeting. It could be the, the number of questions that they ask. It could be a lot of different things that they can measure. And then in terms of the quality of activity, what could they have changed that could have impacted that deal? And if you can take learnings away from one deal that you might not have won and apply those in future situations, that's great. And that can that can help you feel like maybe you didn't win the deal, but you got better and you're putting yourself in a better position to win the next one. Okay, so on to the next one. So what's one phrase or line sales steps can open with that will make the prospect want to talk to them? Like it needn't be you know, specific to any industry or... Um any product like just a generic line and are you talking about in, in what type of meeting uh the first cold call oh in a cold call yeah well, in a cold, cold call. call there's there's people get hit with cold calls all day long and a lot of them are ranging from your auto insurance to what, what are they the warranty renewal and so they're you're getting these things on your phone pop up day by day by day or yeah. all, all all the time throughout the day and I think one of the, the best recognized ways to get past that is to interrupt the pattern and do something a little bit different. 
and throw the prospect off a little bit, pique their curiosity, have them think, uh, who is this? What do you want? And then they can hear you out. I think that's the that's the thing that we see work the best when you can you can throw them off a little bit at the beginning with some kind of interruption. Okay, like say something unconventional, something that hasn't been said before. Well, yeah, it's, it's something like there's there's a million ways to do this. There's not a right way. One of the ways that that we advise okay. people to do this, we do internally, is we'll say, "Hey, this is Corey from Closed Loop." That probably doesn't sound familiar, does it? Mm-hmm. And when you say that in the negative format, it makes people think, "Oh, does that sound familiar?" I don't know, and they're thinking, and then they say yes or no. If they've heard of us before, yeah. great. If they haven't, they'll say, "No, what's this all about?" Mm-hmm. And then we can move into the next phase where we're getting closer to delivering our elevator pitch that tells them why the heck we're here. I think that, again, lots of ways to do this. The What what you don't want to do is just sound like every single person that's calling them all day long. Yeah. That, that just gets them. It, it's like when you walk into a store and someone says, can I help you find anything? Even if you're there looking for something, most people are going to say, no, thanks. I'm just looking. And yeah. you're doing that because people are scared of salespeople trying to sell them <laughs> something they don't need. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, we recently did a webinar with, you know, Beck Holland on how to use video as a pattern interrupt in sales. Like, so that term was, yeah, a little familiar, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. So the next one is a good chunk of deals leads grow cold after discovery calls. So what are some questions that reps should ask prospects on the call? How can they ensure that, you know, they end with uh, something that guarantees them the next meeting? Yeah, meetings go cold after the discovery call, typically because there wasn't enough pain uncovered in order to justify the prospect investing more time. When we think about emotions that drive a, a buying decision, there's there's usually three main buckets. There's pleasure or reward in bucket one, there's fear in bucket two, and there's pain in bucket three. And if we're able to find pain, then prospects will prioritize what we're talking about more. And they'll also make a decision on a compressed timeline. That's that's what's going to drive a, a faster decision. So if you're on a call and you're unable to uncover pain, based on what I just said, you're extending the timeline and reducing the priority, which is often what gets them to shove you aside and think, oh, well, we'll work on something else now. And then we might come back to this in the future or we might not. And so that's the key. And, and the way to get there is for the salesperson to really understand what pain points does my company solve? for which personas, in which market segments, Mm. and then if it's a platform, potentially with what use cases. And if you thoroughly understand that and know where you're uniquely positioned to win, both against the competition and against do nothing, Mm. then when you're in that discovery call, you've got pretty good guidance around what to talk about. I can go to you and I say, hey, look, we're working with folks who are concerned about this pain point, struggling with this pain point, and anxious about this pain point. Mm. Is any of that popping up in your life over there? And what I've done is delivered specific winning pain points that if we if they have them then we're going to be in a pretty good position to at least create some velocity with the deal and have a chance if not win it okay so these are all the this is all the research that has to be done before the discovery call like defining your icp and identifying the your audience the problems you solve for your audience and all that yeah if a salesperson showing up to a meeting and they don't know what pain points they solve for which personas in which market segments yeah then they're not set up for success and they're not going to win. And like I talked about earlier, the best cure for a bad attitude or motivation is winning. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 
So next one is trust is one of the most crucial factors in pushing prospects along the pipeline. How can sales reps build this trust in their communications throughout the process? Yeah, so the, the framework that we use for trust is the, the scale framework. And this is something that we've adapted from some other work that's out there in the human knowledge corpus world. And there's, there's really five key drivers here. Um, a couple of them that are really relevant to sales processes are certainty, people knowing what's going to happen next, autonomy, having the ability to say no, and likeness, ensuring that social proof is tied to things that are, are, are similar to the prospect. For example, if I'm a large company and you're telling me how you help small companies, I don't care. And if I'm a small company and you're telling me how, I, how you help large companies, I also don't care. So there's a few different levers that we can pull to really establish trust there. Those are some of them. And then the salesperson just keeping an eye out if they feel like the prospect stops opening up doesn't talk as much, isn't accepting a calendar invite for next meeting, then there's one of two things that's probably happened. Either we haven't uncovered enough pain so they don't understand why this should matter to them, or we haven't established enough trust. And so they're not going to, to open and be honest with us. Okay, so this is uh, tying in with my previous question. How important is personalization in cold emails? You know, because personalization is usually equated with trust. So how can sales just personalize emails at scale? I don't know that they need to. I think that if if someone sends an email that shows how they solve specific pain points for a specific yes. persona that's in a specific market, the fact that you layer on, hey, you know, go Ohio State Buckeyes, or I enjoyed your speech that I, I listened to in the in the podcast the other day. I, I haven't seen any evidence that that substantially moves the needle. The the evidence that we've seen is that. If you tailor the message relevant to the pain points you solve for the persona in the market in which they operate, then that absolutely moves the needle. But if you get into deep personalization, it's, I, I don't know. I just, I would love, if anybody has any real research around this, I'd love to see it. It's something that we can sit here and talk about and say, yeah, we need to do that. But it's also something that takes a substantial amount of time. Now, granted, if, if there's a, an individual that just, won an award or published a book or something like that. Yeah, send them a personalized note, absolutely. But feeling like you have to force personalization with each interaction, I think is flawed. But again, I'm open to learning if someone's found some real research there. I just, I, I haven't seen it. Okay, so I think there are some controversial, opinion, controversial opinions on it. Like some, you know, advocate personalization like, and you say like, it's just pain points that matter. It's not personalization. That's what matters. I don't care that, you know, okay, I went to Wharton, I'm the founder of a couple of companies, I've written some books. If anybody mentions that in the message, it doesn't change my motivation to buy something from you. I'm only going to buy something from you if it solves a top business problem for me. Okay. Yeah. Fair you enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this next question is because yeah, we are a video sales enablement platform. So I have to ask this. Have you yeah. used or considered using video and cold outreach? So do you think, you know, having a name to a face would play a role in building trust? What is your opinion yeah. on that? So I, I love video throughout the sales process and cold outreach. One of the ways that I like to use it is have your face down in the corner over the top of a case study, talking about how you solve specific pain points for a specific persona in a specific market segment. And for these, again, it's not personalized, but it's persona-alized. 
the person that's receiving the video looks at it and says, oh, wow, that yeah. seems relevant to me. Do I have that problem? Or do I not? And then they can make a decision whether or not they want to meet with you. I think that's, that's key. I'm not a huge fan of just your face up on the screen saying, hey, how's it going? Yeah. I, I don't think that has nearly as much value as having a backdrop of something that's relevant to the individual that you're prospecting. Content matters more than the face. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's nice to have, people are visual, people like things moving around. And if you go to Moravian's law, if I do this off the top of my head, I think they said that uh, Professor Moravian said that communication has three components and 7% of the impact is from the words we say, 38% is tone of voice, and then 45% is the visual piece. So if I just speak the words, just the words, just the words don't do anything. The tone of voice adds a lot of context. Adding a visual element helps even more. So having that a little little face on there at some point in the screen, alongside the content, that does bring things to life, and there is a ton of value there. Yeah, that that makes absolute sense. Okay. Um, so this is a very general question. So how different is sales in a small business from an enterprise? Does the approach or the process differ? When you're selling to a small business versus enterprise or when you are a small business versus an enterprise? When you're selling to a small business or an enterprise, your audience. Yeah, well, when you're selling to a small business, there's usually one person that can make a decision. They can put it on the credit card. They can do whatever they want. In an enterprise, there's lots of people because there's politics. And yeah. regardless of ego to the top person, they need to ask people below them or the person below them, they need to ask people above them, get a lot of different stakeholders involved. And then they've got finance, legal procurement, our favorite sales prevention departments inside of companies. Whereas small business, yeah, if the business owner or the CEO wants to make a decision, they will. And if they come back and say, hey, I've got to talk to my team about this. It's funny. I was talking to somebody about this. I don't know. Maybe it was on LinkedIn. Maybe it was at Tenor the other night. And they said, well, if sometimes the, the business owner or whoever it is says, I've got to talk to my team and let them help make the decision. If that's happening in a small business, it's it's either resistance or objection where the, the business owner is saying, I don't think this is that important, or they just don't want to deal with it. They've got other things to focus on. That's something that we see quite often. And then enterprise deals, they, they take longer and they've got all kinds of risk. I think one of the, when it, when it comes to the longer term idea of sales, meaning not just getting the contract signed, but making them fully fully successful, a lot of times the person that signs the contract is not the person that's doing the work yeah. and that can cause friction because then the people that are supposed to implement it might have other priorities and it might not even get off the ground. We see that in enterprise sometimes, not, not with our business, but with some of the folks we work with. So the sales cycle is usually shorter with SMBs, right? Than it is with oh yeah. Well, they should be, but they can be long too. I mean, I'm a big fan of long sales cycles. This is oh, that's interesting. Okay. Why is that so? Well, because it's, it's not always a 30 day buying window or, or a 60 day buying window. I've, I've closed a couple deals recently mm -hmm. on one plus year sales cycles with oh. not gigantic businesses and things just take time. And, and I think that assigning a reasonable length to the sales process for a deal, if someone's got a compelling event, then the sales cycle should be short. If they don't have a compelling event, and they've got some pain, but they've got other priorities, mm. then you've just got to stick around and be there to solve the pain when the other priorities get solved for it. And the triangle selling methodology, that's, the, that's referred to as energy. They just don't have the energy to do all of the things at once. 
So you've got to wait until they have enough energy to, to bite off something new. In terms of video sales, for example, maybe they're implementing a new CRM, a new sales methodology. Maybe they're hiring a bunch of people. Maybe one of the sales leaders left the company. They've got to solve for all of those things. And then they can tighten up tech stack. That may be an example. And it might take six to nine months to get through that, at which point, boom, now it's time for you. And I don't think that people should disqualify deals just because it doesn't fit into a 30 or 60 day sales cycle. But at the same time, you've got to close revenue. I think just understanding what a reasonable sales cycle would be given a deal, giving the attributes of a deal, that's smart. Trying to force it isn't. Uh, But the revenue you get from it also matters, right? Like if it's worth it or not. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and if it's if they're not if they're not being honest with you, then I you just disqualify it. If they're if they're telling you that they want to do it and then they don't, then they do, then they don't. That that's that's a mess. But if there's a reason to believe that, hey, they will buy in six months or they'll seriously consider it in six months, work the deal. That's that's my opinion. Okay, great. So this is a question based on the current environment. So the world is slowly entering a recession. What are your tips for salespeople to weather the storm? How can they sustain their uh, deals and you know, build their pipeline? Well, my, my opinion, again, I'm not an economist. Okay. My opinion is that we're slowly coming out of a recession. Out of we, recession, okay. We entered a recession January 1st, technically, which means that we were entering a recession in Q4. So it's almost been a year since we started entering the recession. And I think this is, there's an old saying that says, when your cab driver starts telling you to buy stocks, sell stocks. I, I spend a lot, of, I, I have a dog, I've got a 10 pound half Yorkie, half Shih Tzu, and she's, she's great. Oh, okay. She loves going for walks. And so whenever I go for walks with her, I listen to podcasts, typically hosted by venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. And the things that I'm hearing on these podcasts are, more and more positive, especially for early stage companies. Obviously, some late stage companies raise money at just ridiculous valuations and they're, they're not having a great time right now. But uh, what I'm hearing is more and more positive things for early stage, some somewhat positive economic indicators. But then on the internet, on LinkedIn, that's yeah. kind of like the cab driver telling you to sell stocks. Everybody's freaking out that we're entering a recession, but I think they're nine months behind the curve. And yeah, yeah will it last for longer? Maybe, I don't know. But it's definitely in the middle to late phases. If history holds, if you go back and look at historical recessions, they don't last for six quarters. You know, they'll typically last for one, two, three quarters. They can last longer. I think in, in 2001, we went for upwards of six quarters, but we're, we're in the third, halfway through the third quarter of it right now. So I think that just like when COVID started and everybody started freaking out, well, yeah. the economy was booming three to four months later at the same time where people were saying that the sky was falling in the general public forum. So I think it's, it's important for folks to be very careful of that and not just follow what random strangers say and, and maybe invest some energy in hearing what the experts have to say. Again, I am not an expert economist. I'm just referring to what I've heard some folks that are way smarter than me say. Oh, but it's uplifting to know that, you know, we're out of danger because, you know, people keep saying, oh my God, we're entering into a recession and they're all in panic mode, but hearing someone say. No, yeah. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just went to the, I was, I was a couple of minutes late because I was in my car. I had to go to the bank because I just got the biggest check that we've ever received as a business. Wow. Okay. Congratulations you know, on that. It wasn't a million dollars, but it was, it was into the six figures and biggest one ever, but the economy is terrible. 
No, I mean, I yes, not. there are, there are bad things going on, but there's always bad things going on. I live in Texas. The oil business is booming right now, so it, it feels pretty good down here too, just because of that. Okay, so that's great to know. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. our audience will also be uh, yeah pretty happy hearing this. So this is my penultimate question for you. So what is your advice for sales leaders? How do you or how do they how can they set their sales team up for success? And how do you coach sales leader? And what metrics do you make them track when you coach them? Well, I think that for for a sales leader, let's let's talk about two different groups of people. Let's talk about manage managers that manage individual contributors and managers that manage managers. Okay. So, there's because there's two different there's two different answers to this. So the the folks that manage individual contributors, the thing that we're seeing folks have the most success with coach CRM. That's that's my my software business. We we focus on coaching, helping people become better coaches. Okay. Is that if every manager has one specific thing that they're coaching each person on their team on at all times, working towards resolving that, holding the person accountable to doing something to resolve it, and then moving on to the next one. That's how they can just consistently up-level their team and help everybody on the team consistently be better. Just one thing that they're coaching that's going to move the needle, that's going to have an impact. And then from the manager of managers level, their job is to hold the managers accountable to doing that. Looking across the organization and understanding, yeah, I've got six different frontline managers. Let's look at what they're coaching on. Are they coaching at all? Are they coaching frequently? Are they coaching on the things that matter? Getting visibility into that helps senior leadership operate the human capital of the organization, much like they do the, the financial capital, mm. by getting, getting insight into where the, the specific skill or mindset gaps are across the team, and then understanding if things are being done to address those or not, and so they can get better. I think that with, with your point about the economy, again, my point was that we're, things look like they could be getting better, but people are still nervous. And when folks are nervous, they double down on operational efficiency. They want to ensure that they're getting more out of their current team. And the number one way to do that is coaching. Uh, so what about the metrics that uh, you know, they should track? Like apart from the obvious metrics of revenue and uh, deals closed, like what other metrics are they supposed to track? Yeah, the, going back to the point that salespeople can only control two things, their quality of activity and quantity of activity. It's important for managers to have a good set of leading indicators. You mentioned revenue and, and quota attainment, things like that. Yeah. Those are lagging indicators. Those are good. We need to hit those. Mm -hmm. The leading indicators are things like, how many deals have we uncovered a, a pain point that's worth solving? Do we have next steps? Has a prospect agreed to them? Are they in the future? Mm -hmm. What's our pipeline coverage ratio? How, many, how much revenue do we have in the pipeline versus what we, we need to close? in order to hit our goals. But I think the, the thing that I drift towards is focusing on those qualitative metrics, such as have we documented the pain? Is the pain compelling? Is the next step yeah. agreed to by the prospect? And is it in the future? If those things happen, they drive all of the other quantitative metrics to mm -hmm. move towards where you want them to be. But if all you do is focus on lagging indicators and quantitative metrics, then you're coaching something that the salesperson can't control. They can't control close date. They can't control legal red lines. They can't control any of that type of stuff. So only coach do things that people can control is the big takeaway here. But this is something that salespeople can improve on the leading metrics that you uh, 
Yeah. What, and, and for each role, obviously, I think the examples I was using was for an account executive. For a customer success manager, it might be, are we having quarterly business reviews? Are we identifying pain related to upsell opportunities? Things like that. Are we getting the right people involved for cross-sell or upsell conversations? Whatever those leading indicators are per department and for sales development, you know, obviously number of accounts being targeted, number of people enrolled in sequences, things like that. Those, those help you get, get an insight into, are we positioned to hit those outcome metrics that are so important? But you can't just tell somebody, hey, book more meetings. You, there, there's a gap there between what you want them to do and what they're going to sit down and do at 2.30 p.m. today. Thanks, Dr. Dixon. Okay, uh, so Corey, this is my last question for you. What are some books or podcasts that you recommend every salespeople, every salesperson read or listen to? Well, I've written eight of them. Sorry? So, oh, I, I've written eight books. They're all pretty good. <laughs> so if you're in a sales development, we've got sales development and 46 reasons your cold calls fail and how to fix them fast. Okay. For managers, The Five Secrets of a Sales Coach is, is by far the best book, but we've also got Hiring, Onboarding, and Ramping Salespeople and Sales Playbooks and Builders Toolkit along with the Sales Enabled Playbook. Okay. And then for salespeople, Triangle Selling and the Triangle Selling Field Guide. And the reason we wrote these books is we saw a gap in the market. Yeah. There's, there's tons of great content out there mm-hmm. around mindset and go get them and motivation, all of that type of content. Yeah. But in terms of sitting down and doing something that's framework oriented, that's where we saw the gap. And that's why we started writing these books. Um, okay. In terms of podcasts, the ones I, I like this week in startups, All In, Acquired, and the Andreessen and Horowitz podcast, those are the ones I've been listening to. Okay, I'll make sure to listen to the recording and note down all the books and podcasts yeah. listed down. And yeah, I'm sure our listeners would also get, you know, great value out of your books since, you know, I think everyone has a problem, right? Like they all have those big motivational speeches and all that, but it's the tiny gaps that matter. Yeah, and if yeah. anybody listens wants a, a book, we'll, uh, we'll send you a copy, just send me an email. Or a LinkedIn message. Yeah. Yep. That that'll be great. Okay. So I think we can have that conversation after the recording. All right. Uh so Corey, yeah, that uh, those were all the questions I had for you. Thank you so much, Corey, for giving our listeners those memorable and actionable tips. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in today. We'll be doing many more of these podcasts with more such stellar sales leaders from around the globe. So stay tuned into our upcoming episodes. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher as well. Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out. And please leave us a review if you're on Apple. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye and have a great day. Thank you.